All right, welcome back to another episode of T-10. It's a show with 10-minute takes on the future of education and healthcare. And today I am lucky to be joined by a good friend of mine, Mr. Matt Troop. Matt, welcome to the show. It's good to have you on. Thanks, Tim. So exciting to be here. Absolutely. Let's start with who are you? What do you do in the clinical setting? And we'd just love to hear more about uh, kind of your history as a clinician in this space. Yeah, excellent. Um, I have been a physician assistant now for the last 12 years. Um, for the last 10 years, I've been working in hospital medicine um, at an acute care hospital in Chicago, Illinois, um, spending my days on the floors the last two years on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and during that time, also developed, um, you know, increasingly uh, excited about how digital health can really transform medicine, um, both in you know, how end users of, as providers can, can use digital health to make our days more efficient and also how we can use digital health to make, um, you know, the patient experience and um, just patients uh, healthier in general. I, I love that. I appreciate you sharing. I know you and I first connected through On Deck and that's where we've had so many interactions and we continue to, to regularly meet. And one thing that I really enjoy about every time that you and I have a chance to connect is you are so interested at a level that is so rare as someone that's been kind of trying to meet clinicians for five years and was a patient myself. It is, I, I still don't, I'm not sure if you understand how rare it is to meet people who are so excited about kind of changing medicine, especially those who are in the middle of it. But I want to start with something I saw you post on Twitter recently. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to read the tweet back to you because I think it's an amazing example of just something you were talking about, but I, I'm hoping you can add some more detail for, for people. So I'm going to read it to you and then would love to hear just kind of the circumstances and how you work this into your, your typical interactions with patients. But the, the tweet goes like this. One of my favorite moments in medicine is diagramming a complicated process for a patient and seeing it all make sense for them. A clear understanding allows for informed decisions and better adherence to a plan. Simply pulling out a pen and paper can make all the difference. So tell us kind of what you can about the circumstance and how you like to use pen and paper when you're talking to patients. Yeah, um, well, the second half of that tweet that wasn't read was how my drawings are pretty terrible. But even so, even so, diagramming something for a patient, even with poor um, artistic abilities, um, is is critical and crucial and yeah I could talk more about that that actually happened that day I, I tweeted that after um, I had a, a patient of mine who was undergoing a surgery and I could tell that um, we had talked about it for about 10 minutes and it just wasn't clicking um, and you know sometimes it's easy just to talk through a process um, believe that 90% of patients are going to get it and then move on like you know, unfortunately, in the inpatient world, the days are packed and um, the workload is busy. But in that moment, um, I always carry around a, a list that has like my, my census on it. So I pulled it out, pulled out a pen and diagrammed the GI tract and exactly what was going to happen that day for surgery. And time and time again, this happens. It happens all the time. It's, you can see it in their eyes. It starts to click. The neurons fire and they, and, you know, they have that, they build that connection where they, they start to understand exactly what's going to happen that day. Um, and it starts to remove that fear. Um, like I mentioned in the tweet, it allows for actual informed consent to make a decision whether or not I actually want to pursue um, this procedure or, you know, what the 
post-operative course is going to be like. And then also I 100% believe that, um, you know, when we, when we provide good education to patients, the outcome is going to be so much better, right? Because then you can understand exactly why you're doing the things you're going to do. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that fully, uh, fully bringing the patient into the world about what's going to happen to them um, has long-term implications. Absolutely. I love that. You know, I resonate with that as a patient that would have been so helpful. And the times it was done were just, you could just tell the difference between someone who takes the extra couple minutes to figure out what that right way is to get to the patient and help them understand. Just, it's incredible. And there's plenty of evidence that shows well-informed, better informed patients are able to make better decisions about their health and have ultimately a better health outcome. So it's just incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, I'd love for you to talk a bit about, you know, when you're not pen and paper or drawing diagrams, how is education typically done in your setting? And, and kind of where do you see challenges to the ways that it's typically just the standard for, for doing education? It is, if you could speak to some of the challenges and then the, the status quo of how it's done, that would be helpful. Well, I think the challenges are um, some of the sort of institutional bias that has existed for a long time. Not No two people are the same. No two people learn the same. Um, but so much of medicine to this point, we just do, we often have a one-size-fits-all uh, mindset. And again, a lot of that's due to not having enough time, right? Uh, with the, the current burden of, of what, we're supposed, what we're supposed to be seeing on a, on a daily basis, COVID-19 has obviously exacerbated that quite a bit. Um, so having to take a step back and understand that each patient is going to require probably a different perspective or a different way, whether it's pen and paper, it's, um, a, you know, other diagrams, it's in just an in-depth conversation about what maybe what current research shows about to a decision that they have to make. Um, like for instance, and even stepping back off from the digital health platform for a bit, um, I find that, uh, some of the most simple solutions for over the years have just come from a, uh, better explanations about why you're supposed to do something. There's a, there's a great example um, over the years we've had with COPD. Um, the, the treatments for COPD with inhalers are pretty well known. They're pretty well documented. There's not a lot of uh, new information coming out. We, we can do it pretty well, but um, we have significant re- re- readmission rates with COPD. And what we find over time is that it is often just that patients don't know how to take their inhalers appropriately. And I would err on the side of most of the time, it's that they weren't maybe educated in the proper way. And that's a, that's a fault on the, the side of healthcare and medicine. And so we initiated uh, uh, this process to improve the way we educate patients on their use of inhalers. And something so simple as that made a difference in our readmission rates. Um, it isn't using apps or it isn't using, um, you know, front, uh, state of the art medications. It's these medications we've had for a while and just educating them on how to use them appropriately. And that health literacy, that education, and, you know, spending that time with that patient uh, has reaped yeah, benefits to their, to their health. Yeah, I think that's so part of what you said, especially just the, the beginning and, and then towards the end there, just to kind of dive in deeper for a second 
the fact that no two patients learn the same way is, uh, you know, you, you can't overstate the importance of that. But also frontline clinicians have different ways of, of understanding information and knowing how to deliver that information. So I think that's, that's the first point is there's so much matching that has to be done at the point of care that requires a certain level of understanding on both sides, as well as preferences and just knowing where each other is coming from that are not obvious. You know, I, I know we've had this discussion before, but a lot of what you learn probably, you know, I'm not a clinician, but it is not necessarily around the interpersonal skills or the assessment on the fly assessment skills that are required in such time constraints. And so you're already kind of at a disadvantage having that interaction in the first place. Uh, so I think that's really interesting. And the second piece you kind of touched on is understanding that there was a potential pitfall in the COPD education requires some sort of taking a look at how it's done and noticing that this is a trend. And so much of so many of my conversations, you know, thousands of conversations at this point with clinicians over the last few years, when you ask how are you assessing kind of success or learning around these interactions with patients? That's hard. How can you expect anyone to, to know that unless they have access to some kind of tool or the time to, to be doing these sorts of things? So it's no wonder that these points really hit home because it's just not something people prioritize given all of the constraints. But with very simple changes, you can make a, a huge difference. And clearly that's that was the case with the COPD example. So that's, that's a fantastic example. Okay, so I want to move into kind of future thinking where we spend a lot of our time on our conversations here. But the first question back, it, whether you're thinking digital health or not, it, there's no right answer here. But I want to know when you think about the long-term future of clinical medicine, your, your world, what types of innovations or one innovation area are you most excited about? And again, it doesn't have to be a certain technology, it can be a certain area of delivery, but just what, what gets you most excited thinking about the next couple of decades here? I think that as, as more and more digital health offerings can be kind of the end of one, right? This specific to a, a, a given individual um, will be exciting to see, right? For a long time, um, We've had, we've had platforms, we've had educational materials that have been kind of a, like, again, a one size fits all. But now what you're starting to see are primary care offices that are focused on certain demographics or certain chronic disease states. Um, you're seeing just um, educational resources that are allowing people to have um, uh, an experience that is all their own um, as they get to kind of understand what is what is it that I need specifically? What is it that I, Matt, or what I, Tim, need specifically to improve the longevity of my life as well as the quality of my life? Um, and as a provider, that excites me because, you know, you and I have had this talk quite a bit. Um, I get to be in the room quite often and the one telling somebody often about something that's going to change their life for the rest of their life, right? A new chronic disease, um, sometimes even possibly terminal as well. And it's a whole reframing of what the rest of her life is going to look like. And when they leave the hospital, it's well documented that probably 85% of the conversation that uh, the patient and I might have had is going to go out the window. 
So what happens after they leave the hospital? And they really need to have that tailored, specific information that they can go to, know that it's credible, reliable, so that when the day, weeks, months come where they have a question, they know where exactly where to go to get it. And it doesn't seem like it's biased or it's it's um, it's information that is tailored towards Tim, but you know it's me, Matt, trying to to try to find information tailored towards me. So that really excites me as we as we venture into. Um, very specific education for for um, specific people. Yeah, I love that personalization. Is, is seems to be a wave that uh, I hope does not slow down, and um, at every level, all the way down from genetic to the high level education piece, yeah, there's just yeah. so much untapped value. It's an exciting time ahead. So this this gets into the next and in, in one of the last sections here. Uh, next question is: I would love for you to tell me. On a scale from one to 10, how optimistic do you feel about the future of medicine and healthcare, and particularly education, over that next 10 to 20 year period? So taking the long-term view, where do you feel on, on the one to 10 optimism scale? <laughs> well, anybody who follows my uh, Twitter account knows that probably my superpower is uh, enthusiasm. And I have often, um, I have recently, you know, been a part of the On Deck Health um, Fellowship and, you know, just diving into all kinds of digital health communities. I am, I would say 10 out of 10. (laughs) Um, But I also know that there are significant roadblocks in place that could prevent that. But I like to be enthusiastic because I know the people who are um, at the forefront of this, people like you, Tim, people like we know in our on-deck health um, community, as well as other communities in digital health that are really trying to do it um, with the best intentions um, and not selfishly or for some sort of their own personal end gain, but actually to improve the quality in, in, of care we provide um, to patients. Um, it is is the really the really the main reason so many of us got into healthcare. It's the most why many of us have gotten into digital health, um, and so to keep that as like the true north about why we're doing this um, gives me optimism that we're going to get there. Um, healthcare is an area that is difficult to innovate in. Um, you know that well, and I'm sure the people listening know that well um, as uh, as well. But I think we can do it. I think we can too. It's a worthy struggle. I, I love that you brought up the short-term challenges because my immediate follow-up question is on a scale from one to 10, how optimistic do you feel over the next one to two years? So shorter time frame. let's really kind of dig into thinking about those challenges and uh, sizing them up against that, that 10 out of 10. All right. I'm going to try to take off the um, strictly enthusiastic hat here and be more pra- be more practical, maybe six to seven out of 10. I think that we're at this, um, this inflection point that's really exciting in healthcare right now, as difficult it is, as it is to innovate in healthcare. There's a lot of people trying to do it, but um, we're all, or so many of us are trying to do it all at once and try to figure out exactly what needs to be done and how to connect all the dots, right? There's these data silos at every single health system, right? Um, there's insurance um, roadblocks to deal with, you know, data roadblocks, EHRs. Once we can find a way to integrate all of those things and um, really try to um, push forward kind of uh, interoperability, then I think we're going to see this explosion in digital health 
and our, our ability to have that focus. I think there's going to be a little bit of uh, growing pains and we're, we've seen those already a bit, but even in the next couple of years, as we try to figure out some of those difficulties, healthcare is a, a beast of sorts. Um, and it's, it's critical work, right? Cause people's lives are at stake. So we have to do it diligently. Yeah. You can't fill fast when people's lives are at stake. I, I think, uh, just to add to your point there, from my perspective, I think one area in addition to the, the enthusiasm happening right now and for the last several years, and certainly a wave with all the, the interest and capital flowing into digital health, but talent, I think is another barrier that is hopefully going to be you know, the reason you and I connected, I think is because people are paying more attention to building communities with purpose around bringing talent that can address these problems. So we are not spending years trying to just adapt lessons from another industry into healthcare. We need to have the people who have been clinicians for a decade or longer, or even shorter and fresh out of school with the, op with the energy and optimism I think having access to those those people in that mind share in order to build these solutions that are built for the right reasons is going to be key. And that's one of the reasons I'm excited to have, have you on and obviously be part of this community. But it's it's all exciting. I'm glad I'm I'm writing down a six, by the way. It's a six for the record. I don't allow sevens, so I know you'll you'll be good for it. Uh last thing here, Matt, if people want to get a hold of you after this, they want to connect and, and chat more about some of the things you brought up today. Where can they reach you? Where can they find you and say hello? Yes, and please do uh, on Twitter, uh, as we've talked about, which has been um, one of my favorite places to connect recently. So um, yes, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, um, or via email as well. Great, and we'll make sure we provide that information for those who want to say hi to Matt offline. Well, Matt, thank you for joining us on T-10. Always a pleasure chatting with you and excited to reconnect soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Tim. This has been so enjoyable. Absolutely. Talk soon.